You need to carry all your stuff. Cool. You need some help, brother? You got it? All right. All right. Amen. All right. Take your Bibles out this morning. And uh, I want you to open them to uh, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And you might also find in your Bible um, the uh, 5th chapter of Genesis. So you can go. So we're going to look at a passage in that, uh, in that Genesis. Because we're going to look at a, a man who was a success in life. In fact, he might have been the most successful man that ever lived. And uh, we're going to look uh, just at his life and what it means uh, to walk. But I want, want to ask you that question. I want you to think about that for just a second. For you, the question that I just asked for the kids, what does it mean to be successful? And you know, if we, uh, if we look at, uh, you know, the ways of this world, what does it mean? If you make a whole lot of money, you're successful, right? Or if you have a lot of fame where people are, uh, you know, paying attention to you, or maybe you got a lot of hits on your Facebook page or your TikTok or whatever it is, you know, you got a bunch of followers, maybe that's success. Or maybe, uh, you know, it's having a big family, big house, maybe it's having power. I mean, I don't know, money, power, fame, are those, how, how, do, how do you measure success? And then I guess, you know, the other question would be, well, what does God have to say about that? In the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and this is the great roll call of faith, Today we're going to look at, like I said, maybe the most successful man that ever lived. And his name was Enoch, beginning in verse 5 of Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it's impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. You know, if you, uh, if you study success, if you go back and uh, uh, read the Old Testament, uh, you're going to find out that one of the measures of success in the Old Testament was um, uh, length of days, you know, or how long you lived. So the longer you lived meant the more blessed you were of God and the more successful you were. So, for example, Abraham, who was one of, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the patriarchs, the great man of faith, you know, the person that, uh, you know, the entire, you know, Hebrews looked up to. It says about him uh, in the 25th chapter of Genesis that at the end of his life, he, uh, he died, but he died full of days. And that full of days is just kind of an idiom to say that, that he did it all, right? I mean, it was all filled up. There wasn't anything left to do or to be. Abraham uh, was a success. And so he, he lived a long time, and God blessed him in his life. And that really is what a successful life is. I'm thinking about that long life, and uh, one of the most remarkable chapters in all the Bible is this fifth chapter of Genesis. And uh, if you've got it, I would encourage you to... Um, uh, to open it up there, because I do want to look at a couple of verses here. But, but, you know, this fifth chapter of Genesis is remarkable because of the length of life of those that, uh, that it records. Now, this is the lineage from Abraham to Noah, or excuse me, from Adam to Noah through Seth. Now, this is the godly lineage. If you go back to chapter 4, 
You find one of the other uh, sons of Adam and Eve, and that was Cain, and we're going to get his lineage, but that's going to become the ungodly lineage, all right? So that's, they're, they, they're mentioned there, and then they're put aside, but now we've got the godly lineage here, beginning in, uh, with Adam and then Seth and going all the way down to Noah. There's ten generations here, and what is remarkable about every one of these men that are mentioned here is how long they lived. And so in biblical terms, they would have all have been pretty successful. So it says about Adam, he lived uh, 930 years, and then Seth, 912, Enosh, 905, Kenan, 910, Mahalalel, 895, Jared, 962, that's in verse, eight, uh, verse 20, Enoch, he lived 365, Methuselah, 969, he's the longest guy that ever lived, Lamech, he lived 777, and then Noah, he's going to end up living uh, over 600 years. And so, and so you have these, uh, these great men of old who were very successful in biblical sense because they lived long life. And that's all recorded here in this chapter. But there's something else that is recorded here that, that almost makes this not just one of the most exciting or interesting chapters in all the Bible, but also one of the most depressing chapters in all the Bible, because there is a recurring frame here with each one of these men. So, so for example, it says about Adam in verse 5 that he, his life lasted 930 years, and that's like, wow, and then it says, and then he died. And then there's Seth in verse 8, his life lasted 912 years, and then he died. And then Enosh his life lasted 905 years, and then he died. And then on and on. As we go on down through here over and over again, this person lived this long, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. And so death is the recurring frame here. Not just the length of life, but death. In fact, it seems to be kind of a reminder or a fulfillment of the promise of God that was found all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 when Adam and Eve, you know, are in the garden and God says, hey, I'm giving everything to you. I created you on purpose. I created you for this. I'm going to bless you. Oh, by the way, there's one part of the garden here. There's a tree over there. It's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that one's mine. It belongs to me. Leave it alone. And he says there in the, uh, in the 17th verse of Genesis, it says, And from that day, or for the day you eat it, you will surely or certainly die. And then we get to verse chapter 5 here. These guys lived a long time, but then they died. They lived, they died. They lived, they died. They lived, they died. What God said happened, or what God said is true. Everybody dies. And let me just pause right here and just remind us all. The death rate is still 100%. Meaning that everybody in here, sooner or later, you're going to die. Now, Jesus may come again, praise God. And if he comes today, hey, I am real excited about that. I want it to happen. But barring the second coming of Christ, you're going to die. You might live 70 years. You might live 170 years. I don't know. But sooner or later, you're going to die. And that's borne out in this chapter here. Everybody lives. Everybody dies. Except there is something a little bit different here. In the middle of the chapter, there's this dude named Enoch. And his story is found beginning in verse 21. And I just want to read it to you. Let's, let's just look at it in 
Genesis 5, verse 21, and this is the one who's mentioned there in Genesis or in uh, Hebrews 11 as he demonstrated his faith or he pleased God because he was a man of faith. It says in verse 21 of Genesis 5, Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and he fathered other sons and daughters. He had plenty of kids. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not there because God took him. Now, what's really interesting about Enoch is is the brevity of his life. And he lived 365 years, which for, I mean, you know, we would say that was a long life. But if you compare his life to everybody else there in Genesis 5, he only lived a third, basically a third of a life of everybody else. Everybody else is living 900 years and such. He lived about 300, or he lived 365 years. And, and, so, and so it seems like his life was cut short. And if you measure success by the length of life, everybody else was successful, and Enoch, not so much. But you know, when we read it, we don't necessarily feel sorry for Enoch. Because it doesn't say about him what it says about everybody else, right? Everybody else died. Enoch didn't die. There's no funeral recorded here. It says he walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. And how that that worked out, I mean, you know, it's not really explained. You know, one one, uh, commentator said it must have been like he just walked with God and walked with God and walked with God for 300 years. And finally, one day they were in such deep, you know, personal conversation. They got so far from Enoch's home that God said, hey, Enoch, we're closer to my home than we are to yours. Why don't you just come home with me? And Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. Maybe that's the way it turned out. We're not necessarily told. It just, he lived 365 years, just a third of everybody else, but he didn't die because he walked with God. And that's why I say that he might very well be maybe one of the most successful men that ever lived because it seems like that uh, he's kind of fulfillment, not of uh, Genesis 2.17 when God said, there you sin, you'll surely die. He's the fulfillment of John chapter 11 when Jesus was standing outside the, uh, the tomb of Lazarus. And uh, he said, uh, he that believes me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that believes me and live will never die. Will never die. And we actually see the fulfillment of that in Enoch's life. And so here would be kind of the bottom line. When you walk with God, you walk in life, not death. When you walk with God, you walk in life. And the roll call of faith that's found back in uh, uh, Hebrews 11 says that Enoch walked with God and God took him because his walk was a walk of faith. So the walk with God or the walk of life is a walk of faith. And notice, this is what pleases God. And I'll tell you again, regardless of who else you please in this world, if you please God, you got it done. Because sooner or later, you're going to stand before him. He's the final judge. He's the one you really want to impress. He's the one you really want to please. And notice again in that sixth verse of Hebrews 11, there's only one way to please God, and that's by faith. And that is walking with him by faith. So walking with God is faith walking, and that's the title of this sermon. And what I'd like to do over the next couple of minutes is just kind of look at what does that mean. Okay? What does it mean to faith walk or to walk with God 
by faith. And uh, I just want to mention three things that I see in this, in this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 5. All right? First of all, and, and this is based upon the life of Enoch and his walk with God by faith. Okay, three things here. Walking with God, number one, is unnatural. It is unnatural. That is, it just doesn't come naturally. You know, uh, uh, the Bible says in Amos chapter 3 that how can you walk with someone unless you're in agreement with them? And so if you're going to walk with God, that means you have a relationship with Him and you're going to have to walk with Him in agreement with God. That's what it means to walk with God. The problem is, by nature, we do not and even cannot Walk with God. Let me show you how this works out. If you look back at, at uh, Hebrews, um, or excuse me, Genesis 5. I've gotten these chapters. Genesis 5. In the very first verse, it says that um, uh, this is the uh, document concerning, uh, concerning the family records of Adam. On the day that God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. Okay, so here is Adam. He is created in the likeness or the image of God. It's created in God's image. Okay. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means he has spirit. That means he can relate to God on a personal level where uh, an animal or something else may not or a tree cannot. And so, and so that, that may, there may be other things that it means to be created in the image of God, but at least you can relate to God on a personal level. You've got a spirit, okay? Now, down in verse 3, it says, Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness according to his image, and he named him Seth. Now, it's very interesting the way the Bible puts it there. Adam was created in the image of God, and then he fathered a son who was born in his image, right? So Adam created in the image of God, Seth born in the image of his father, Adam. And you might look at that and say, well, it's the same thing, right? I mean, that means that Seth was in the image of God. And, and it is true what, uh, you know, what Kelton said just a minute ago, you know, that I was created in God's image. That's exactly right. Everybody has been created in the image of God. But you've also been born in the image of your father and your mother. And what does that mean? Well, you know, something happened between the time Adam was created and Seth was born. And that something that happened was sin. Adam and Eve sinned. And as a result of that, the Bible says that they were given, or now all of a sudden they have a sin nature. That's their nature. And so when Seth was born in the image of his own father... He was born with that sin nature. That is, with that bent to sin. uh, That is, uh, separated from God. That's the way we're born. We're born with a sin nature. In fact, David said in Psalm 51.5, he said, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Now, he's just telling the reality. This is who I am. I have a sin nature. And that sin nature means that I have a bent against God or I have a tendency or a movement towards sin. doesn't mean that I will always sin or I'll always make the wrong decision, but I'm a sinner. And this is the reason the Bible can say all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why? Because we have a sin nature. It doesn't say, well, maybe not him. I mean, that's a good person over there, and she's a good lady. So maybe not them, but everybody. No, everybody. We've all 
fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I mean, we could go on, we could go on down the list. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 3, he says, we, we too all previously lived among them, and he's talking about the ungodly or unsaved or, you know, the world. We lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature, by nature, children of wrath. This is how we were born. This is who we are. This is the reality for all of us. And what, and, and what we need to understand is since God is holy and he is sinless and we are sinful with a sin nature, it is not our nature to walk with God. We don't just get born walking with God. That's not the way. We're born with a sin nature separated from God. And sooner or later, it comes out. And I've mentioned before, you know, if you're not sure about sin nature, just put a couple of two-year-olds up here and put one cookie down between them, you know? And you're going to see the sin nature come out real quick, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's going to be on because that's mine, 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 mine. That's the nature. It's all about me. And we are all created with this sin nature. And so it is not natural for us to walk with God. If we're going to walk with God, somehow, some way, we're going to have to overcome the nature, our own nature, which is separated from God or, or pushing God away or not wanting to have anything to do with God. And this is why I say that walking with God is an unnatural walk. Okay, first thing. I'll come back to that in just a minute. So hang on to that. Let me give you the second thing. It is unreasonable. Walking with God is unreasonable. This is what I mean by that. In, down in verse 21, it says that Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. Now, the name Methuselah is an interesting name. And, uh, you know, in, in the Hebrew Bible, Hebrews put great stock in names. Names meant something. You know, Isaac was called laughter because his mama couldn't have a baby, and now she's got a baby, and everybody's laughing. I mean, you know, names had meaning. And when, en or when this little baby was born, Enoch's son, and they asked him, what are you going to name him? He said, Methuselah. Well, in Hebrew, the, the word Methuselah roughly translates, when he is gone, it will come. When he is gone, it will come. Now, what was he talking about? And, and, and remember, Methuselah is the dude who lived longer than anybody else in recorded scripture or history, 969 years. And if you go through the rest of this chapter and you crunch the numbers, you're going to come up to, um, you're going to, come up to Noah, and he builds this, this thing called an ark, and uh, he gathers all the animals, and then there's a big flood. Well, if you go through and crunch the numbers, what you're going to find out is that 969 years after Methuselah was born, the flood came. That was the first year of the flood, meaning that the year that Methuselah died, Noah finished the ark, he gathered all the animals, and here come the flood. Okay? At the end of his life, when he was gone, it, the flood, Came. Now, now, that flood was the judgment of God on sin, okay? And so somehow, someway, Enoch knew, 969 years before the flood came, Enoch knew that it was going to come. How did he know that? 
How in the world could Enoch, 969 years, I mean, think about what was going on 969 years ago from today. Someone would have had to know, like today, you know, uh, we were going to all be, how is that even possible? Well, the only way that it was possible for Enoch to know that was God had to tell him, right? I mean, would you agree with that? God had to tell him. Because God knew it was going to come. He knew, he had he already had figured all this out. God had it all worked out. He knew it was going to happen. And for some reason or somehow, some way, he revealed that to Enoch. Now, not only did he have to reveal it to Enoch, but Enoch had to believe it. I mean, in other words, Enoch had to take the word of God. This is what God said. And Enoch had to say, yeah, I believe that. And you know, if you believe something... If you believe what God says, then you can't help but telling other people about it. I mean, because what happens is, here is, uh, here is Enoch, and he's got his little boy by his hand, and he's walking along, and somebody goes, Hey, Enoch, how's it going? Oh, is that your son? Yeah, is that uh, when he is gone, it will come? What, are you, what is that all about? And Enoch's like, Well, God revealed to me that... Um, uh, you know, that when he is at the end of his life, he's going to die whenever that is. And, and I don't know that Enoch knew how long he was going to live. But when he dies, then the judgment of God is going to come. And maybe he didn't even know exactly how the judgment of God was going to come. He just knew the judgment of God is going to come. When he is gone, it will come. And everywhere he went, people were asking him, well, what about Methuselah? When he's gone, it will come. What's that? Well, the judgment of God. And you know how people are going to respond to that? Well, how do you know that? Well, because God told me. You believe that, that nonsense? You believe that mess? Listen, nothing has changed. Everything is going along. People are doing whatever they want to do, and God's not doing anything. I mean, here it is. We've been thousands of years, and God said on the day that you sin, you'll surely die, and it hasn't happened. I mean, you can't. You are crazy to believe that kind of stuff. I mean, the Word of God... In, a, in the world in which we live is unreasonable. For anybody to stand up and say, well, this is what God said, and I believe it, you're considered to be crazy or a kook. Nobody believes that mess anymore. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was talking about this, he said, you know, that the preaching of the cross, for example, and what is the preaching of the cross? That God came in the flesh, that he died for our sins, for sinners. That's foolishness, Paul said. You know, Greeks look at that, and these are, these are the free thinkers. These are the ones who, who, you know, reason everything out. That's crazy. First of all, God don't become a man. Secondly, God don't die, and he certainly doesn't die. That's crazy. Even, and nobody believes that stuff anymore, even if... If, uh, uh, you know, that really is what God said, nobody believes it, even if there is a God, right? And for the most part, most people don't believe in God anyway. And so if anybody stands up and says, well, this is what God said, thus saith the Lord, and I believe it, and I'm basing my life, I'm living my life based upon what God said, you are an absolute idiot. You're crazy. You're a nut. You're a kook. I mean, let's just go on. And, you know, I mention all that. And as I was preparing this, I was thinking about these students who are going to be, um, you know, going off to college. And, and, you know, it breaks my heart to know this, but I know what's going to happen. Because, because what's going to happen is these kids are going to go to college. And, uh, you know, they've grown up in church and they've grown up, 
Bible school and Sunday school and learn about God and all this stuff. And they're going to go, they're going to be sitting in a class, and, and these teachers, these professors, these really, really smart men and women who have studied all this stuff, and they're going to, they're going to try to tear down everything that you've ever been taught and everything that you've ever believed. And so you're going to be sitting in a, in a physics class, for example, and you're going to find out that what happened way back when was there was this big explosion and everything just kind of came into being and then, uh, and that's just the way it is. And that's fact. We know that to be, we know there was a big bang and we know that everything came from that. And where do you come from? Well, there was this prime, after the earth finally formed, you know, after millions of years and is spinning around and there was this primordial soup there and this amoeba or something crawled up out of it. That's where you come from. You're not unique. There's not really anything uh, special about you or anybody else. There's nothing special about this universe. It just happened. This is fact. But wait a minute. The Bible says that God created and that he created me. Nobody believes that stuff anymore. That's foolishness. And that faith or that belief is going to be ridiculed. It's going to be put down. It's going to be poo-pooed. It's going to be whatever else, right? That's just the reality. That's the world in which we live. It is unreasonable to believe that God created and that I'm here because of him and that he's got a purpose and, and uh, uh, he's got a, a, a purpose and plan for my life and he wants me to walk with him and live him out. You know what? That's just funny. That's crazy. Nobody believes that stuff anymore. You know, when I was very young, I say young, younger than I am now. And uh, I really felt like God had a call on my life to preach. I didn't even know exactly what that was going to look like or how it worked out. But I sat down with this book and I said, God, I don't understand all this. I'm not exactly sure how, I can, how I'm even going to be able to preach. I can't hardly put two sentences together and talk. And some of you have noticed I still have that problem. But uh, but I said, God, I tell you what, I believe it. I'm just going to take you at your word. I believe it, and I'm going to preach it like it's true. And if somebody else can convince me or show me that it's not true, you know, um, what's really interesting about this is the further along I've gone, and you know, recently I've gotten really interested in archaeology. Some of you all know that. This next week, uh, I'm going to be going to uh, Albuquerque, and all of the uh, all of the pottery and everything. You, you know, I was I was in this archaeological dig uh, back in February at a place known as Sodom. It's today it's called Talil Hamam, but there is absolutely no doubt about it that this was the ancient biblical city of Sodom. And do you know what they have discovered in 16 years of excavating at this at this site is is that in the, in the time of Abraham, this great city was destroyed in exactly the way the Bible says it was. You know, for many, many years, a whole lot of liberal Bible scholars and others said, you know, those stories about Sodom and all that, that's just made up stuff. Nobody believes that stuff anymore. They're digging it up out of the ground out over there. <laughs> We've discovered that what the Bible says over and over again, every time there's an archaeological discovery, they, they determine or they discover that the way God said it turns out to be the way it is. 
What God said is true. And I just, the, the further along I go, the, the more I realize that I can put my faith and trust in what God says. And if I do that, that means I've got I've to live it. I, walking with God is unnatural, but it's walking according to the word of God. And if you're going to walk with God, you're going to walk with him uh, by his word. And, and people are going to look at you and they're going to say, that's crazy. Nobody believes that. Why are you doing that? Why don't you live for yourself? Why are you living for God? I mean, all that kind of stuff. It is unnatural for you to live this way. But if you want to be a success in this life, you want to walk with God, you're going to have to walk where, where, according to the word of God where everybody else says it's crazy. Last thing, real quick. Walking with God is not only un Re- unnatural, it's unreasonable, and it is countercultural. It is countercultural. And what I mean by that is, is it says here in fifth chapter of uh, Genesis that Enoch was 65 years old when he had this boy named, When He Is Gone, It Will Come, Methuselah. So, obviously, he was walking with God at that time. God was talking to him. He was believing God. He was a believer, okay? But God didn't just take him right out. God left him there for another 300 years. And what happened during those 300 years? We know the Bible actually tells us what happened during those 300 years. In the next to the last book of the Bible, in what is it? Jude, right? Tiny little one-chapter book. In Jude, in the 14th and 15th verses, it says this. It was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied. And basically, he was preaching. During those 300 years, he was preaching. And this is what he preached. Look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. In other words, here is this preacher, and he is a preacher of righteousness. What he says is, is, hey, sin is sin, and God hates sin, and God judges sin. And he's going to judge sin. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And part of that message was, so give your life to God. Follow him. <clears throat> Believe what God has to say. I mean, he preached the love of God, the power of God, the judgment of God, the wrath of God. I mean, all of that goes together. In other words, he preached the gospel. And during those 300 years, he preached it evidently over and over and over again. And for him, sharing it was just, it seemed like the most natural thing to do. Because if I know that judgment is coming, and I know that you're a sinner, an unrepentant sinner, and so you're going to be judged by God and spend eternity in hell, wouldn't it be normal and natural for me to come to you and say, hey, by the way, judgment is coming, you're a sinner, God judges sin, but you can give your life to Jesus, you can be saved, and God will forgive you, and you can walk with God. It's the greatest thing in the world. Why don't you come walk with me as I walk with God by faith? I mean, you know, why isn't that the most natural thing in the world? And, and, and this is evidently is what, is, what, uh, is what Enoch did. But notice how countercultural this was. And it kind of shows up you know, in your life, in my life, because, because the reality is, is that in this world, people are, most people are not willing to be told what is morally right or wrong. I mean, 
right? I mean, you can, you can go to somebody, you can talk to them about anything and you want to in this world, but don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion. And most of the time we combine our politics and religion, it seems like, these days. Because if you believe right, then you're going to think like me and you're going to be of my political persuasion, right? That's the way it works. And I had a guy tell me one time about, you know, he said you couldn't be a Christian. And what he said was you can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. <laughs> so if you're a Democrat, because the Bible evidently says, uh, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be a, Democrat, or be a Republican and you will be saved, right? By the way, the Bible doesn't say that, all right? <laughs> Because politics is something that we create, Jesus saves, okay? Uh, let me just go ahead and say that. But, but people don't want to be told that what's happening here or what's going on in my life is morally wrong. We can talk about stuff, but don't bring that religious stuff in. Let me give you a couple examples of this. I mean, just think about all of the uh, cultural issues in our world today. And folks aren't going to be told what is morally right? You cannot bring morality into the discussion. A good example of this is abortion. What is abortion? Killing unborn babies. Seems very clear to me. I don't understand how. But listen, there's a whole lot of people out there that don't see anything wrong with that, that believe that that's cool, that that's right. And the last thing that people like me are allowed to do but say, wait a minute, it violates the law of God. Everybody. David said, I'm knit together in my mother's womb. In other words, God is at work inside the womb of a mother to create this baby in the image of God. And to destroy that is to destroy life. It's a sin against God. No, you can't say that. Nobody's going to listen to that. Notice how countercultural that is. Let me give you another example. And this one is one that just kind of blows me away. There's a, a movie in the theaters these days called Sound of Freedom. And it actually brings to light... Uh, this, this thing that is a, a, a tremendous blight, not just on our nation, but on this world, because it's not just happening here, it's happening all over, and that's sex trafficking of children. Sex trafficking of children. By the way, last year when the Super Bowl was in Houston, Texas, estimates are that about 500,000 children were brought in sex trafficked for the pleasure of I don't know what. I mean, th those numbers just kind of boggle my mind. And Houston is not, uh, I think I said five, I think it was 50,000. Houston is not unique. Evidently, this thing is happening not only all over this country, but all over the world. Little children are being kidnapped and sold into slavery for the sexual pleasure of people. In this movie... Sound of Freedom just brings that to light. And, uh, and do you know, in the mainstream media, I've, I've read these accounts, they are trying to destroy that movie because it approaches the issue from a moralistic place. That this is wrong because it violates the law of God, a child of God. All of these kids are children of God. No, you can't say that. It's almost like people are arguing for sex trafficking rather than to say that this is morally wrong. Uh, and, and what I mean by that or what, what I'm getting at is or what I'm trying to get you to see is this is countercultural. Going with God. Walking by the precepts 
of God or the law of God or the word of God is, is against the culture. That is, if you're going to walk with God, you're going to go against the flow of everybody else in this world. And that's just the reality. Here was, here was Enoch, and he was standing up preaching about, preaching about righteousness, about judgment. Nobody wants to hear about that stuff. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Don't tell me that God is going to judge me. Don't tell me that there's a hell. Don't tell me that I'm going my own way. And if you stand up as a preacher of righteousness, you are going to go against the flow. The problem people like you and me have is you can't just shut up and go sit in the corner or sit in your pew somewhere because when right is right and wrong is wrong, sooner or later you got to stand up and speak or you're going along with everybody else. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said this, the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves. Because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. And as I was reading that again this morning, I was just thinking, why is it so easy to lie today? And people want to believe the lie. They will not believe the truth. And this is what Paul says. But as for you, he says, now here we are as a child of God, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. That is, speak the truth in love, but speak the truth Fulfill, he says, your ministry. In other words, it's not possible just to sit and let the flow go on by. I've got to walk with God, and if I'm walking with God, I'm going to walk against all of the currents and the waves of this world. So walking with God is unnatural. It violates our own nature. It is unreasonable. It violates uh, or... It, uh, it means you've got to go with the Word of God. Nobody believes that anymore. And it is countercultural, meaning it goes against the way everybody else is going. So, so how does this, what, what do we got to do about this? Well, watch this. If you're going to walk with God, number one, you've got to overcome your sin nature. And how does that happen? There's just one way, by the blood of Jesus. By putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And this is why this is faith walking. You're never going to walk with God until you put your faith in Jesus, give him your life, until you're forgiven of your sin and you're made right in the sight of God and he gives you a new nature, a new nature. So now walking with God is a violation of the old nature, but it's right in line with the new nature. And this is what has to happen. The reason that many so-called Christians don't walk with God is because they've never been given a new nature. If you've never been given a new nature, you're not saved. Okay? So... If I'm going to walk with God, I've got to have a new nature. I've got to be changed. Secondly, I've got to walk according to the Word of God, meaning I've got to dedicate myself to His Word. I've got to take God at His Word. And I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, this morning, settle it in your heart. Either it's true or not, or it's not. Either it's all true or it's not. And if it's not, then go off and figure what is and go that way. But if it is true, what God says is true, live it. Live it. Walking with God by faith, is walking according to his word. Last thing, you got to go against the culture. This culture in which we live is openly hostile to people of faith. But people of faith go with God, and so you walk counter-culturally. That is, you're not into what everybody else is into. 
you into what God is into. Let me go back to those two verses in Hebrews 11. It says, because Enoch is our example here, how did Enoch do all this? Look, by faith, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so he didn't experience death. He was not, he was not found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Enoch, one of the most successful men who ever lived in this world, because he walked with God by faith. He didn't taste death. And can I just tell you that if you walk with God, you're never going to taste death? That's what Jesus said. Wait, you say, I'm never going to die? Well, you know, this body is going to lay down yeah, and breathe its last. But Jesus said, listen, I'm the resurrection and the life. You let me take care of that. I'll be there. And listen, we'll just step from life into life. Isn't that exciting? That's what it means to walk with God. There's just one way to do it, by faith. And today, I'm just calling us to faith, to faith. Are you walking with God? What does that look like in your own life? And can you say, well, I've got a new nature. I'm going by God's word. What God says, that's the way I'm going to live it. And even if everybody else is against me, I don't care. I've decided to follow Jesus, and I'm going to go with him by faith. Father, I would just pray today and ask you, God, to help us as we walk with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be men and women of faith. Lord, that you would strengthen our faith. Lord, that you would uh, uh, convict us of faith. Lord, I pray for a new nature. Let today is the day of salvation so that everybody who... The Lord's got that old nature sitting here today. Lord, might get a new nature through Jesus. Lord, I pray that your, your grace would flow so freely through here that everybody would be saved. Father, I pray that your word would be so clear and perfect and, and right in our minds and our hearts and lives that we couldn't help but just go with it and obey it. And Lord, regardless of what everybody else is doing, Father, may we be men and women who just stand up and say, I'm going to go with Jesus. Lord, I ask this in the name of Jesus now. Amen. Amen.